So do research to ensure that there's product market fit. Do research to ensure that there actually is demand for the service or the product that you are creating and to use analytics and to use data to grow your company into very early on instill KPIs, key performance indicators. So then that way you can use the data to help make decisions because the data does not lie as long as it is accurately gathered. This is Pittsburgh a place where a rich heritage of making things and a fierce independent nature come together to create a thriving entrepreneurial community. Whether you're a small business owner looking for ideas or inspiration, or you're an enthusiastic supporter of local businesses, you'll find it here. I'm your host, Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Today, my guest is Sarah Macon. She's the founder of Macon Wellness. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate you coming on. Yes, of course. I'm so excited to be here with you, Darren. So let's start with a description of Macon Wellness for those who are listening that are not familiar with your company. Can you tell us a little bit more about Macon Wellness and what services do you offer? Yes, absolutely. So at Macon Wellness, we are on a mission to help millions of people heal and become happy again through outstanding online therapy services. So we are an online therapy platform and our providers specialize in mental health, addiction, and relationship treatment. Um, We are networked with all of the major insurance companies like UPMC, Aetna, Optum, Highmark, the list goes on and on. And so we help people who are struggling emotionally. So as you look back on your life, do you remember when you first became interested in entrepreneurship and business ownership? Were you young when that happened? And then also, when you're talking about that, could you share that story about how you had this innovative approach to selling lemonade when you were a kid? I think it's hilarious, and a lot of people will get a kick out of that story. Oh, yes, definitely. So, Darren, I have been an entrepreneur my entire life, and I've just always loved innovation and business. And interestingly enough, I always knew that I would go into business someday and then I would have a company. And the way that my mind would always think is, you know, how can we improve things and how can I be innovative? And I remember when I was growing up, a lot of kids would have lemonade stands. And I I thought to myself the one time, well, how could I increase my profit margin? Well, if I do a lemonade delivery service and I go door to door, Um, and ask them about, do you want to buy my lemonade? That I would be able to do that. And so I just have always really loved business. And I think innovation is a lot of fun. The door-to-door lemonade, selling, I love that. You know, going door-to-door, it's, that's hilarious. I think people will, I'm not sure if anybody really has done that before. I mean, it's probably been done, but I, I think it's pretty creative to come up with. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's just, how my brain naturally thinks. And I I remember even whenever I was younger, like I would misconstrue different types of projects for like different business projects. Like I remember I was in a home ec the one time and the teacher was asking about, she was asking us about like sewing different types of clothes. Okay. And I remember thinking, well, we could take jeans and we could put crystals on them and rhinestones on them. We can make them very decorative. And then a couple of years later, like rock revival and true religion is launched and they they started to do those types of things. So I think it's 
um, important, like in business to always think about the future and what is next up so you can prepare yourself and bring some of that future into the present, but doing it at the right timing because timing is everything. Because if you're too innovative, then the market may not be ready for it, especially in my industry, which is mental health care. You have to be sort of careful when it comes to health care because most patients don't, they want something innovative, but not too innovative or too out there because those types of companies will then sometimes end up failing. So when did you develop an interest in the health and wellness space Did that also start when you were young? And what specifically attracted you to that space? Yeah. So my dad's actually in the healthcare industry too. So I was raised with having a big emphasis on, you know, taking care of your health and doing a lot of things preventatively to take care of yourself. And what ended up happening was I actually started to suffer from depression and it got so bad to the point where I just felt like I could not live anymore. And so that's what sort of pushed me into my own therapy. And my therapist changed my life so profoundly that I sort of had this aha moment a couple of weeks after I got out of therapy. And that was, oh my gosh, this is like my life's purpose is to bring this to the masses and to help people. And so I've really been on a mission ever since then. And it's something I'm so passionate about and it's something that is very needed. So when you got started, you could have taken one of two approaches, right? You could have gone to business school and you could have taken that approach. You could have learned business and you could have partnered with somebody with a license in the healthcare industry and you could have built your practice that way. Or the other approach is you could have gotten educated in the social sciences. You could become a licensed counselor yourself and you could take that approach. And that's what you did. You took that sort of that latter approach or that second approach. You have a bachelor's degree in psychology and a graduate degree in counseling. You're a licensed counselor. Why was it important for you to take that approach as opposed to the more traditional business approach? Because as you talk about your background, you obviously loved entrepreneurship too. And that was balanced with your experience that you just talked about in healthcare. So why did you choose that approach versus the business approach? That's a great question, Darren. And it's very normative in the healthcare setting for the leaders to actually be providers themselves previously. And it's easier to lead a team when you have that background and you have that training. And so I looked at it from that perspective that it would be easier to lead a team. Um, it would be less risky if you yourself are the one with the license. And I always considered, you know, I can continue to learn about business. And I don't necessarily have to have a business degree to to have a successful company. And that's something that I am constantly studying now. And I'm in various different types of business organizations and healthcare organizations that, you know, we, we talk about growing our companies and different things like that. So you can get that education from other ways. And I think the most important way of gaining that ex- that experience is through the real life applications of being in business. And it sounds like business came naturally to you anyway. You you always loved it from the time you were young. So that was something you can learn as you go. As you just mentioned, you're learning on the job and you can supplement that with learning with classes, whereas opposed to the counseling and that part of it, that would be a little bit you can't just learn that as you go. You have to be focused in that. That's a very specific type of education, right? 
Oh yes, definitely. And it takes a lot of time and energy and supervision and a lot of additional things to make sure that you're able to ethically practice for sure. So when you started your practice back in 2017, you had an in-office component and an online component. And then just before the pandemic, I believe you were transitioning around that time to an online or fully online model. Did the pandemic just speed that up for you? Was that what the effect the pandemic had on your business? Were you already in motion to go to a fully online model? And if you were, what was the reason to go in that direction? Why were you going in a fully online model as opposed to maybe the more traditional in-person clinic model? That's a great question, Darren. And interestingly enough, I was in the process of figuring out how can we transition all this to be done remotely. And so the pandemic absolutely accelerated that. And it was actually our clinical supervisor, Rama. She was the one that sat me down and said, like, we have to transition to be remote ASAP. COVID cases are up and other states are starting to shut down and we are essentially next in line. And so that is why we ended up transitioning at that time. But it was always in the plan to convert and be an only online uh, therapy company. And the reason why we wanted to do this is because we knew we would make a bigger impact, that we would be able to increase mental health utilization and increase the amount of patients that we could serve. Uh, the biggest barrier was getting our uh, payers which in the healthcare industry, you're always concerned about three things, the patients, the providers, and the payers. The payers were not paying for online therapy with the exception of UPMC and Highmark, but all the other ones were not. And so because of COVID, they all are now paying for online services um, and for telehealth services, not just in the behavioral health space, but across the various divisions of medicine. And so getting them to pay has been huge because we did not want to unnecessarily put the financial burden on the patient if we could have our payers cover that type of a service. So I guess that's one of the positive things that came out of the pandemic is that the insurance companies said, okay, we're going to pay for online services. Like you said, a few were, but most weren't because they probably maybe didn't view that as, hey, that's not the traditional way of, of getting this type of help. So that's one of the good things that, one of the silver linings that came out of the pandemic is that, hey, we can do more virtually. We can work virtually. We can shop virtually. We can get you know help virtually. We can do healthcare virtually. We can do a lot. And that's one of the advantages of, of, of what happened. Oh, yes, definitely. And I think the thing that the insurance companies really wanted to make sure because they're very data-driven um, and outcomes-driven, they weren't sure, is this actually effective? Are patients going to enjoy this? Um, and can providers provide this type of service throughout the pandemic? It's become apparent that this is effective. The providers know what they're doing and the patients do uh, enjoy being able to see their provider from home. Now, when you started making wellness in 2017, you offered some additional services that were a complement to your core services, things like eating plans and exercise plans and aromatherapy. But you saw that these were not very popular with your client base at the time. And so that you decided to survey them 
to learn more about what they really wanted and make some changes. Can you tell us about that process? Can you tell us about the survey? How did you come up with the survey? How did it work? How many people, or I guess what percentage of people responded? What did you learn from it? And how quickly did you make decisions and changes to your business to adapt to what was really happening with, within your, your practice? What we ended up doing is we created a survey and we sent it out to our patients to basically learn about, you know, why is our patient retention so low? And one of the biggest things that came out of that was that patients really just wanted to focus on mental health care and they were not interested in the additional services that we were providing. From our perspective, these services are good for their health. This is something that's going to help with their mental health and their overall quality of life but they just weren't wanting it. And so even in the healthcare setting, you have to really consider like product market fit. And just because something is founder fit doesn't mean that there's product market fit. And so continually asking your patients or asking your uh, customers or your clients about their experience, what they like and what they don't like is very important. And what you do with that data is you make improvements to your company to uh, provide them with the type of services or the products that they actually want. So that is what we ended up doing. And we started to immediately implement the changes that our clients were requesting. And this is actually something that we use for our team as well. So for our employees, we're constantly asking about like, what do you like? What do you not like? How can we implement our values better? Um, are there certain processes that you think we can improve? And so I think getting feedback and actually acting on the feedback is very powerful because not only does it show to your patients or your employees that you care enough to like listen and implement their feedback, but also you end up creating a, an improved company overall. And so we now have that as a regular part of what we do at Make and Wellness. We send out surveys throughout the year. Typically, it's about quarterly. And we normally have at least 100, sometimes two, 300 people respond. And it is such valuable information. And I would advise anyone who has a business to do the same because the, the feedback that you get is... I mean, you'll end up learning so much. So. That was a huge thing that helped us to grow and something that I think everyone needs to do. That speaks a lot to you as an entrepreneur to be able to make those changes too, because sometimes founders get very caught up in the services that they come up with or the product that they come up with and they get sort of, they get very romantic about it. They're, you know, they get fixated on why they think it's important. And it's not always easy for some founders to change, to say, hey, look, maybe this just isn't working or maybe we just need to tweak it or maybe we just need to ask our clients or customers what they really want. And it seems obvious, right? Of course, you're going to give people what they want, but it's not always that easy because it can be very easy to, as I said, get, get fixated on what you want to offer and really sort of have tunnel vision on that. So I think that speaks a lot to you as an entrepreneur that you were able to ask that question and make changes and you were open to that. Oh yeah, you have to be. And the other thing too, Darren, is I'm not super attached to the process. I'm attached and committed to the results. I want symptoms to decrease. I want quality of life to increase. And I want patients to heal. 
And so whatever we need to do in order to make that happen is really our commitment. And I know with time, um, that's going to continually change. And we're all about uh, growth and embracing that. And so you can't get super attached to the specifics of the process because then just like you mentioned, you'll have tunnel vision and you might not be able to accurately see what is happening in your industry or in the market and then become blindsided when a more innovative company comes in and ends up taking a lot of market share. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's it's staying focused on the end goal. And, you know, there's different ways to get there. There's different paths. There's different roads, right? That'll take you to the goal, but be, but stay focused on the goal and don't fall in love with one path, in other words. Exactly. So mental health has become such an important topic, especially in recent years. It's become more accessible. It's become more affordable. It's become easier to talk about than it has in the past. It used to have a stigma. People were afraid to talk about it. People didn't want to talk about it. That's, that's changed a lot in recent years. It's much different than it was decades ago. What's behind these positive trends? Are we finally becoming smarter as a society? Are we becoming more aware? Is it just because more of us have been affected in some way because we have a loved one or it's happened to us where we're more aware, we're more willing to face the mental health side of things. It's not just the physical health and and sort of ignoring the mental health? Are we just becoming more aware? What's your take on the trends that you have seen in your industry? I think a lot of the younger generations are more open about it and are talking more openly about their feelings and what's going on with them. I also think that having social media and people sharing what's going on with them online has helped other people to realize like, oh man, I'm not alone. Like there's other people that feel the way that I feel. And I think society is becoming more educated about mental health and how there is so many different like mental health and addiction sort of challenges and learning more about, you know, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It's not like a moral issue that you're suffering from. It's from, you know, mental health or from an addiction challenge. And a lot of people do suffer from it. And you know what, Darren, like we're in Pittsburgh right now. And did you know, and it was like 2016, about 55% of PA residents were in some form of mental health uh, counseling or some type of therapy. So it's very common, but not too many people at that point, we're talking about it. And a lot more people are talking about it now. And I think that's a wonderful thing because, I mean, everyone has a brain. So therefore, everyone is going to experience some sort of um, emotional challenge at some point in their life. It's really inevitable. And when you know that you have support and you know that there's effective options out there, it can really be a huge game changer. You brought up a good point with social media too, because you know a lot of times social media gets a bad rap, but you brought up one of the advantages of it in that as a society, we become more used to sharing everything about our lives. And that means the good and the bad. And yes, many people do share the good things. They share the vacation photos and the, the selfies and the posed presented image, right? Of what's going on in their lives. But many people, I've seen this, and I'm sure we all have that many people are very open to sharing other parts of their lives as well. They're sharing, you know, the, the ugly side and the bad side and when they're feeling pain. And 
it has conditioned us to be more open to just sharing in general. And because of that, you're probably right. There's a connection between that and, hey, now I'm more aware of my feelings. I'm more aware of what's going on internally. I'm more likely to maybe seek help or to get counseling or to get therapy or just to talk to somebody. If I'm going through something, if I'm struggling or I need to talk to somebody, I may be, or if it's an addiction or whatever, I may be more open to that just because I've become accustomed to sharing and people sharing with me. So I think that's a great point that you bring out. Yeah, definitely. Social media can be a positive thing. It's just moderation and being very mindful of the types of accounts that you are following. So as we become more aware of mental health, there are more options too. So there are the traditional clinics. That's sort of the part that part of the industry that you started in. And there's also online apps and online resources and things like betterhelp.com and places like this have become very popular to reach out to people that need to get some help. How do you, with Make and Wellness, how do you set your business apart? How do you differentiate your practice in a sea of competitiveness, right? Because it, because there is more awareness, that also means there are more competitors. There are more people offering some similar services that you're offering. How do you stand out in that crowd and in, in what you offer? That is true. There's tons of different online therapy services that are out there. And the biggest thing that differentiates us is that we are a very high-touch company Whenever someone calls to make an appointment, they end up going through sort of a screening process and they end up getting matched with a provider who actually specializes in the specific challenge that the patient is having. So every single person who calls ends up getting matched with an appropriate provider instead of the patient trying to figure it out on their own or instead of going through um, an algorithm, you get to actually speak with a human being. The other thing that makes us different is that we have a network status with all the commercial plans within Pennsylvania. What does that mean? That means that your insurance more than likely is going to cover your services here. So you end up having a $0 copay or $25 copay instead of paying $150 per session or $100 per session like some of the competitors uh, that you uh, mentioned. Yeah. And because you're online or you're fully online now, you can reach a wider audience. So I'm assuming that is part of the plan is to grow outside of this region at some point, right? Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. We just want to make sure we have the proper systems and processes in place that we have the legal stuff in place that... um, And the the other thing too, Darren, with medical companies and with healthcare companies, every state has different... Uh, medical licenses. And so you're really not supposed to practice outside of the state that you're licensed in. And this is something that we really hope COVID can help to change because we're technically not supposed to practice outside of Pennsylvania. There are some things in place right now where you can temporarily practice out of state, but we're very, uh, I'm very risk averse with things of that, that could potentially jeopardize uh, your medical license. So we don't do that, but I do, do know a there are some places that are doing that. And so hopefully in the future that will change. And worst case scenario, if it doesn't change, then you just go about your expansion in a different way. What is the major difference or change for you in building a company that's now virtually 
running or it's it's online, it's running with an online model versus in person. So before the pandemic, you were in an office, you were meeting with your staff, you know, probably on a daily basis, you saw each other, and now you're all working remotely. How does that impact you as a leader in terms of how you build culture in your company and how you build a team in your company? For me, and I know for our team, we're very mindful about having a values-based company culture and upholding our values and living them out both within the practice, but also in our lives. And so when we transition to an online only format, the biggest thing that changed is the way that you lead. Things are, of course, very different. Before we would communicate in person. Now we do have company-wide emails that I will send out to our team to talk about our progress and about our mission and our vision. We have various channels where we interact throughout the day as a team. And so no one feels like they are alone or just sitting in their home office and seeing patient after patient. And I had to become extremely mindful of my communication and to over-communicate certain things and to directly state things versus before. I felt like you didn't really have to do that because your tone and your body language conveyed a lot of messaging, but I've noticed now that that you have to communicate a lot more and to specifically spell things out. And in the process of transitioning everything to be an online only company, there was a lot of like empowering my team and for them to really take charge of the their divisions within the company and for them to lead um, effectively because a lot of people were feeling very scared. And very fearful, like, what if like the economy tanks and like no one's paying for services, or like, what if insurance companies don't cover this anymore? Like, you can't think like that. You have to be focused on the positive and the affirmative and what you can do. And at the end of the day, there's always a solution if you're creative enough. And I know my team is incredibly creative. And so, the opposite of fear and living in fear is being positive and having faith. And so there was a lot of me instilling faith within my team. Like, don't worry, we're going to continue. We're, we're going to continue to operate. We're going to continue to serve patients. We are going to help even more people. And so I think that helped like our team have more faith and help them to not worry as much. Whereas I think other companies perhaps didn't really do that. And everyone got into fear mode. And many times when people are in a, a mode of fear, they don't think clearly. And then you can't really lead effectively because your team feels that. You you don't have the luxury of being extremely fearful when you are you know, running and owning a company in the middle of a pandemic or in the middle of any type of major situation like that. So when you started your practice, you started as a clinician, as we talked about, you saw patients yourself. I'm not sure if you still see patients anymore or not, but I know your time is probably increasingly getting taken up with running your business and growing your business and building your team. So I'm curious, do you have a preference on which one you prefer to do? Did you, are you sort of split in terms of being able to see patients and build your company or do you favor one versus the other? And then also, what drives you to build the larger practice? We talked a second ago about the ability to do it, but what's sort of the internal drive to do that? Is, to, is it to reach more people? Is it to you know, have a bigger impact 
on more people? Is that part of what drives you? Oh, yeah, definitely. So with your first question, I love seeing patients. I love serving patients. And I love owning and growing this company. And I would say that I prefer the latter only because I know that if I put energy into this, I can help to influence a lot more people versus if I'm directly seeing patients. And um, that's the big reason why after I started the company, I always knew that we were that my time practicing was very limited. So I just see the minimal amount of clients at this point just to keep my license active and everything. So um, that's a very minimal part of my uh, day, which I only see clients one day a week at this point. The second question was about why am I doing all this? You know, I feel like you get to a point in business where you have to really consider like what is motivating you and why are you doing what you're doing? Because if, if you know what that is, that will fuel you every single day. And my why is I don't want people to suffer like I did. Like I don't want anyone to go through what I've been through unnecessarily. And what I mean by that is suffering unnecessarily when there's so much help and so many options out there. And so that's really what fuels me. I love people and I want to give back. And I know that there's hope and that there's faith for everyone. And my intention is to create a company where we help as many people as we possibly can. And so that's really what drives me every single day. I think your why has to be something bigger than you. And if it's just money or status or whatever, that's not going to take you super far. Like, your why has to like make you very emotional and has to really drive you forward. And I think that at this point, especially with millennial workers and staff, they want to work for a company that is mission driven. They don't want to work for a company that only thinks about like maximizing the profit margin. They want to be part of a movement. And I think that the younger generations are going to think in that similar way of we want to be something part of something larger than ourselves and we want to make a positive contribution to society. So considering what your why is and communicating that with your team is super important. Actually, part of our uh, onboarding process, I talk about, I briefly talk about my story and why we're doing what we're doing. And, you know, a lot of people really resonate with that, I think. And so I think everyone should consider what your why is, what is your mission, what is the vision. Um, and if you have a company and you don't have your mission and vision, you know, documented and continually stated to your team, you absolutely have to make that happen because that's really, that should really be driving the decisions that everyone is making and helps to get everyone on the same page. So everyone is working together and all moving towards whatever the mission of the, of the company is. Sarah, as we wrap up, what parting advice would you leave for entrepreneurs, business owners who are listening to this? You obviously just gave some great advice there with knowing your why. That was a, a lot of great information right there that you just gave. But what other parting thoughts do you have as you consider your own journey? I mean, you've done so much already uh, early in your career. You have a great education in your field. You became licensed in your field, which is a, a great milestone in and of itself. A lot of people just do that and go work for somebody else. But then on top of that, you build a business and 
you are doing an online model. You've had to go through this very challenging pandemic, which a lot of people, that's just such a unique thing, right? That we're all going through. And there's so many lessons just in that. And you're building a team, you're doing it virtually. What sorts of things, if, as you look back so far on what you've been through, what could you share with somebody else to maybe help them get started, help them get going? Maybe they're new, maybe they want to start here in, you know, this year or next year, they want to build, build something, they want to do what you did. What could you share with them? So the first thing that I would share is to do research to ensure that there is product market fit. I wish I would have done that day one and not a year in. So do research to ensure that there's product market fit. Do research to ensure that there actually is demand for the service or the product that you are creating. And to use analytics and to use data to grow your company and to very early on instill KPIs, key performance indicators. So then that way you can use the data to help make decisions because the data does not lie as long as it is accurately gathered. And nowadays, it's incredibly easy to gather data and to gather different metrics to make sure that you have that as part of part of your business and to don't just make decisions based upon you know what you think or what your team thinks make decisions based upon data sarah thank you so much for being on the podcast today i really appreciate it yes of course thank you for having me on this is so lovely and such an honor and thank you hey everyone i hope you enjoyed this episode Please do me and the Pittsburgh small business community a huge favor by giving it a rating on your favorite podcast app. It really helps others to find the show so that we can continue to build our community. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you know someone who should be on the podcast or you'd like to connect with me, you can reach me at proprietorsofpittsburgh.com or at 412-336-8247. I'm Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Take care.